welcome to the Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller. I'm a stroke survivor and grateful recovering alcoholic. Today's topic is experiencing sober firsts. Sober firsts. And uh, I have a bit of a headache today. I've had a headache all day today. It's one of those days. Um, So I don't know. We'll have to... uh, talk to the neurologist about it, I guess. Um, it's kind of a bummer that um, it just seems like it keeps building again. Um, so I'm kind of done having a headache, people. <laughs> okay, so uh, experiencing sober first. So I've been sober for uh, about seven and a half years, give or take some months there. Um, my sobriety date is April. So April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. Yes. So I'm, uh, I'm just around that, uh, seven and a half years. And I, you know what, I'm 49 years old and I still count on my fingers when I'm going, uh, when I'm seeing how many, how many months are between April, April and where we are now. Um, something's never changed. So here we go. The more I have experienced sober, the more I want to experience sober. I never imagined in a million years that I would want to do anything sober. And I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about what it was like for me um, when I was doing things when I was still drinking and what it's like now and that transition period that I had to go through to get comfortable even showing up sober, much less get to the point where I'm actually having more fun sober. I mean, I heard I was going to, but I was uh, calling BS on that, that. but it's so true. I really just have so much more fun now. Um, So the more I experience in general in my life, the, my anxiety decreases and I'm not afraid of discomfort anymore. I actually lean into discomfort. It's almost like it gives me some kind of, maybe it's the chemicals that start spitting out when I get uncomfortable, but I kind of like it. That's creepy. I kind of like it. So what seemed impossible to me when I was drinking has become possible. And so over the past week, uh, I was unable. Okay. So last weekend I was unable to get my, um, anxiety medication filled for, gosh, I think it was, I think my last one was Friday. So Saturday, Sunday, I'm counting on my fingers again, (laughs) Monday, Tuesday, and then I took it again on Wednesday. So that's five days. And usually I start feeling some symptoms of anxiety after just 24 hours. I have this like, 
I don't know, sensation in my hands and I start feeling a little uneasy. Now, this is different than discomfort. This is uneasy, like something's not right in my body. And uh, that just grew over the five days to the point where um, I just wanted, I had feelings like I wanted to cry um, in this, like, you know, I'm going through all of this stuff with my stroke uh, impairment, uh, stroke impairment, my vision impairment, and I have been able to maintain a level of hopefulness. And over the five days that I unfortunately was not able to get my medication, I started to feel what I think I would be feeling if I wasn't on medication. I mean, just the beginning of it, where it was starting to feel um, very, I felt sorry for myself. That, that was the thing that started coming to my head. And I started getting like my nerves start jumping and my hands start tingling. And then I started having like panic attacks. I was like, I just kept taking deep breaths. I kept um, telling myself, this is because you don't have your medication. Everything is fine. And you're going to be getting your medication whenever um, everybody gets their shit together. You'll have your medication. And sure enough, that's what happened. So I finally got to take my medication on Wednesday. But not before I was really getting some intense feelings of anxiety and distress. And um, of course, my boyfriend, as he is... um, amazing at everything else that I've been dealing with. He was, whenever I was talking to him about this is how I feel without my medication, he was just 100% listening, paying attention, looking at me. Um, I don't know, people, maybe there's something you can help me figure out what I can do to thank him for all of, all of this. I just feel like he's just an amazing human being. Um, and what I was thinking about also, so being able to not be scared of those feelings over the past five days, not feeling like I was going to die, like I used to feel before I was even on correct medication or before I was done drinking and I was taking medication when the medication didn't work, um, I... I didn't know, I didn't understand the feelings, so they were scary to me. And um, so my kids, uh, I have gifted them with um, anxiety and depression as well. So you're welcome, kids. And they also um, are on different medications in order to manage that. And Um, we over the years have had to have, you know, some conversations about what it's like to be on medication, that it's okay to be on medication, that it's not something that, you know, 
I think there's this fear of being dependent on medication. And honestly, I've never had that. I've never had this feeling of, that's not true, I'm lying, uh, <laughs> feeling of not wanting to be on medication. Like there's something wrong if I have to take medication. It's actually, there's something right you know, if I'm on the medication, it's just chemicals. It's all about chemicals and needing them. You know, I have the, the chemicals in my brain were imbalanced. So I need the medication in order to balance them. And the reason why I said I'm lying, because when I had my stroke, they gave me the, um, your standard post stroke, post heart attack, cocktail of medications. And um, during that time, they were giving me um, a medication that they give for everybody who has a stroke, which is for high cholesterol. I don't have high cholesterol. I never have had high cholesterol. And, uh, and I still don't have high cholesterol. So I was opposed to the idea of taking this medication for the rest of my life. I mean, that's what they said. You got to take this for the rest of your life. And I'm like, I don't have high cholesterol. Like if, if you want me to take this medication for high cholesterol, but yet all of your tests are saying that I don't have high cholesterol, then are you telling me that something's wrong with your tests? Or are you just giving this to me because that's what protocol says that you have to do? So anyway, I ended up going off of it, but not without speaking to my doctor appropriately, getting a multiple blood tests to make sure my cholesterol was okay. And so um, I'm off of all of the stroke cocktail medications that they give you. Um, aside from a baby aspirin, I'm all in on the baby aspirin. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, um, I went on a big fat tangent, but what I wanted to really, um, hone in on is that idea of knowing what symptoms you're feeling in your body and, um, and being comfortable with that when you know what it is. And, um, I went to the grocery store, I think it was this past winter with my boyfriend and he was going through, oh my gosh, he had so much stress at the time. And this is right before my health started declining again. And we were at the store we had been considering selling our house. So our house was on the market. We had uh, put in a bid on another house. And then he was also running this gigantic tech technology move at his company. And he... I, I, he disappeared. I, I was trying to think of another way to say it, but he disappeared. We were in the grocery store and then he was, oh, I remember what it was. We were in the line to check out and he just nonchalantly said to me, I'm going to go, I'm going to go outside. 
And I was like, okay, he does. He goes outside all the time when when I'm in the checkout lane for things because he goes out there and vapes or gets some cool air. He doesn't like all the people around and everything. So I didn't think anything of it. So I checked out and everything. I went outside and he was sitting on a bench and which is that is unusual. Usually he's standing. And he had texted my daughter and said that he had a panic attack. And the thing, the reason why he was able to to talk about it nonchalantly is because he knew what it was. So he said, I didn't even know the guy had panic attacks, but he does, but he knows what it is. So it didn't scare him. And he just acknowledged what it was. And he went outside and you know, got some fresh air, was breathing. And it's that mindset when we're in a panic attack. For me, for sure, if I'm able to acknowledge what it is and then just start taking deep breaths like and try to think of a happy place, you know, they say that sometimes in jest. Think of, go to your happy place. Well, it's true. If you're having a panic attack, you really can. Uh, I don't know how else to say it. Think your way out of it or unthink your way out of it, maybe. Um, so over the past five days, I've been doing a lot of deep breathing, a lot of self-talk. And, um, and I'm through the worst of it now. So I'm coming back on the other side. And... Um, these are these type of experiences types of experiences are ones that I had daily. I used to have daily when I was drinking. I was just a freaking mess on a daily basis. And when I stopped drinking, I thought, well, if I'm this way when I'm drinking, how the hell am I going to survive? How am I going to survive without my self-medication, my alcohol? And so approaching all of these sober firsts were really scary for me. And I want to talk a little bit about how I did it. So um, back when... Gosh, I don't know. Ever since college, I could outdrink everybody. Yeah, I would say not really high school, but once I got to college and I really made drinking my profession, I could outdrink everybody. I prided myself on this. I could drink more and longer than anyone I knew. Even like my best friend, who was like this big dude you know, and I could out drink him. And I was just, I thought that I was so great for that. And when people wanted to drink, they would call me. Um, and that was, it was like that for years. And I'm not sure if later on in my drinking that my phone was ringing as much as I thought it was, especially in the end. Um, everything I did revolved around drinking. It was amazing when they started selling alcohol at movies. Um, 
I used to refuse to go to this uh, great restaurant outside of Charlestown called John's on 340, if any of you are in that area. Um, I don't know if it's still there. They were talking about it being um, closing due to like them widening the road or something back then. So I don't know if it's still there, but uh, it was amazing. Like um, home, home, like cozy restaurant. Um, and I, I refused to go because they didn't sell alcohol there. And uh, I coordinated my driving the kids to places around my drinking. Um, you know, like in the evening, if they wanted to go to a friend's house or something. Um, there were times that I think I said no. And it was simply the only reason why was because uh, I wanted to drink and I didn't want to drive drunk. So um, I drank during everything I did. I drank while I was cleaning, mowing the lawn. When I was doing uh, homework with the kids, when I was cooking, when I was, uh, the kids had bath time in the evening, I was drinking. Uh, their sports game, well, their sports games, or if I was doing any kind of sports, I would be drinking. Uh, family gatherings, I was drinking. And uh, vacations. Uh, and the list just goes on and on. So I went on a cruise, in fact, with my family. It was me and my two kids and my, uh, my brother's my brother and his family, my sister and her family, and my mom. And um, I worked up a $1,000 tab on that cruise. I don't know if my family knows that, but they know now. And uh, I remember one night everybody had gone to bed and I decided that I wasn't done drinking. So I went down to karaoke on the cruise ship and I just sat down and started drinking and I don't really remember remember the evening very clearly. I remember a little it's spotty for me. But one thing I recall is standing up in front of uh in front of everybody with this one guy, some stranger, I didn't know him. And we were singing Michael Jackson, but I remember not knowing any of the words, which is weird because I know Michael Jackson, but, um, and I remember feeling embarrassed and yeah, I, I, I don't remember much and, and, but I do know that the next day when I was walking around the cruise ship, all of a sudden everybody knew my name and uh, to the point that my brother actually said, what did you do last night? And I was like, I, uh, you know, um, and although funny, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't know what I did. I'm pretty sure I was just trying to sing and did a really poor job at it, but, uh, I don't know. Um, kind of humiliating to think about. But when I do think about things like that, it gives me another reason to stay sober today. So um, yesterday I answered a question on LinkedIn 
posted by a, a podcaster called Through the Glass. And um, I actually spoke to them this morning and they invited me to be a guest on their show. So I'll be recording with them next week and that more about that later. And the question that they asked on LinkedIn was, what took you so long to quit? This was just a general question they posed uh, to their feed. And so I, so I bit <laughs> and I said, um, my answer was because alcohol was my best friend and I couldn't imagine and didn't want to live without it. I had so much unbearable anxiety. Where would I possibly start to deal with it without drinking? Um, I mean, I just remember holding my glass of wine like it was a teddy bear, you know, like a child would hold a teddy bear. That's how much it made to me. It meant to me. Um, so I mentioned my medication, the only thing it really did for me when I was still drinking was I didn't have the panic attacks. It kept my panic attacks at bay. I used to have uh, ocular migraines, and um, I think it was just a lot of stress-induced uh, symptoms. And the medication kept those, those really heightened climax uh, symptoms at bay. But I still had the underlying fear of everything. It, it was... It was untouched, really, that anxiety. So I drowned it. I drowned it with alcohol. So how would I have fun without alcohol? Um, alcohol was my fun. If I was doing anything, anything that I did revolved around alcohol. All the, like if I were to go to a picnic, I'm not going to the picnic to have fun. I'm going to the picnic to drink. And it just so happens that there's a picnic around me, you know? Or I remember going tubing with people when I was drinking. I was going tubing to drink. It just so happened to be I was on the water in a tube, you know? You could take the tube and the water away and I would still be having just as much fun. You could take all the people away and I would have had just as much fun. Um, so I was convinced that when the alcohol was taken away, that life was going to be terrible. You know, that there would just be no, no fun. Nothing would be left for me. If you took alcohol out, that is my, that was my perception of life. And so I thought it would be terrible, but hey, it was already terrible and I was never going to be happy and I deserved to leave, I lead a miserable existence or so I thought. So I started going to meetings and I've talked a little bit about going to, starting out um, in my sobriety meetings with, uh, and I was still drinking. But when I was, I just kept going. 
And one of the things that I heard as far as like along the lines of getting out there and doing things sober was I heard that my sobriety program was a yes program. When you're asked to do something, you just say yes. And because we all want to say no, uh, because it's just, that's what I was used to saying. I was used to saying no. Um, but when I entered this program, I was told that I, that I needed to say yes. I was also told that it will only get better. And people talked about how they didn't think they could have any fun without alcohol either. And then they would laugh to themselves. You know, they would laugh at themselves for, for thinking, oh, yeah, I can't believe I used to think that I was never going to have fun sober. So I just, you know, I'm just listening and watching and listening and watching. And I just kept showing up. And I started saying yes. And believe me, I wanted to say no. I was thinking no. <laughs> I was shaking my head maybe even and thinking no. But my mouth had to say the word yes. And so that's what I did. I was asked in the beginning to do things like make coffee for the meeting. And I said yes. Even though who wants to show up 15 minutes early and start making pots of coffee for everybody? But I said yes, because I was told I'm supposed to say yes. And I was asked to start leading a, a meeting every Saturday. And I was terrified. I was terrified. And I'm, again, shaking my head no, but my mouth is, has to say yes. And I was trembling. I was trembling. Um, my voice was shaking when I had to lead this meeting, but I just did it because that's what I was told. I was a rule follower. I've always been a rule follower for the most part, um, except for when I was drunk. I was asked to go to a sobriety picnic, I remember. And my boyfriend went with me once, once he went to the first one with me. And I said yes. And I barely talked to anybody, but I did show up. And that counts. I said yes, and I showed up. And then over time, I was asked to go to a Christmas dance um, by the folks in Leesburg were having a Christmas dance. And I showed up. I think it was after work. It might have been like on a Friday or something. I showed up. I did not dance, but I did crack a smile a couple times. Again, that counts, you know, a little bit at a time. I went to a women's sober holiday cookie baking party, um, and I remember feeling uncomfortable. I remember just wanting to start sucking down sparkling waters because I just needed something in my hand. I was so uncomfortable, and everybody was like laughing and chit-chatting and stuff, and I was just thinking... I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel like I was in the right place around the right people. And that that goes back to my my episode uh, a few days ago about belonging. I didn't feel like I belonged, but I had a lot of um, a lot of insecurities and didn't quite accept myself yet. 
But I'll tell you, these uh, cookie baking parties were so much fun. Like now that I look back and it's my, I'm actually going to host a pie baking party in a couple weeks. And then uh, in December, I want to host a, a cookie baking party. So these are things that I learned how to do when I first got sober and now I love, I love having teas. That's my new thing. I bought a whole tea set and, um, and I get, I'll either, well, I was buying the, the baked goods from Wegmans or some fancy schmancy bakery. Um, but I think this next tea I'm going to have, I'm going to bake my own pastries. So um, that's another thing that I enjoy doing. And, uh, I just kept saying yes. And so since then, over the past seven years, I've done all of that. I've gone to plays. I love plays. So I've gone to plays sober. I've gone to craft shows like holiday craft shows at the expo center. That's super fun. Um, I've gone on lots of hikes, I've gone kayaking, and I've done all of this stuff sober. Um, it's just, it's, it's weird to even listen to it coming out of my mouth, really. And I think the more challenging sober firsts that I got to face in, were the ones in the beginning that were like, watching TV sober. That was a hard one. Um, drinking in front of the TV was probably uh, what I did most often. So sitting there without a glass of wine in my hand was felt really awkward. Um, I didn't even if nobody was in the room, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Like watching TV became boring. Um, Going to restaurants sober, like eating food without a beer or a glass of wine felt weird. Um, I started like playing around with different types of drinks that I enjoy at restaurants. So um, I, for a long time, was drinking sparkling water then I started asking for lemonade, like a little bit of a lemonade in sparkling water. That's one of my favorites. And um, Coca-Cola is my latest one, which I need to kick that habit. And strawberry lemonade is definitely at the top of the list too. So I started exploring different drinks that I like. I definitely did not just stick to water because I still need to enjoy something. So that's how I see it. Um, football Sunday without drinking. Oh boy. Um, that seemed to me like it was going to be a big, scary challenge. But the thing about football Sunday, I mean, we celebrate football Sunday every weekend. It's more of a celebration like it's an excuse to to have a little mini party. I mean, it's just my boyfriend and I, 
But like we make sure that we have some food. And um, if you're wondering uh, an update on football Sunday without uh, being able to watch TV, it's a little challenging. Um, I listen to the game and a lot of times my boyfriend will tell me if something cool happened but um, I haven't really figured out a really exciting way to do that like when the commentators start their voice starts going up like they're like and he's running and he's going down the field. I have got to turn towards the TV. Um, so it's a big fight. It's an internal battle for me to like hold my head. Uh, so I actually don't face the TV at all. So it's not something that I end up accidentally looking at the TV. Um, flying without drinking. That was a first. And the first time I did... I took one of my uh, panic attack medications beforehand. It, it's it was kind of like uh, like a Benadryl, really. It's it's kind of similar to that. The medication I don't take it anymore, but I took that and ended up sleeping the whole time and realized that I didn't need to take it. So um, flying is is fine now. I've done it quite a few times sober, but. Yeah, I the first time I had to board and I think it was more challenging for me to walk through the airport and not stop and get a screwdriver before I got to the gate than it was to get on the airplane and not ask for a glass of wine. I mean, it it was something that I thought about doing, asking for the glass of wine, but I didn't. You know, I just did the next right thing and didn't, I asked for a Coke or, uh, something else. I don't know. Probably a Coke. Um, coffee. Coffee is a big one in the beginning. It just struck me. I drank a lot of coffee instead of, uh, instead of any other beverage. So I probably asked for coffee on the airplane. Um, going to weddings sober, that the first one was challenging. I felt uncomfortable not having something in my hands. It was the same feeling as going to my first work happy hour or my first work Christmas party. Um, just learning how to stand there without doing anything with my hands and without putting anything in my mouth. So um, it takes practice, but if I forced myself to stand there and not fidget, just stand there and feel the awkwardness, it got to the point where I was almost laughing at myself because I was like, Nobody even knows what I'm thinking inside of me. Like, I I feel like I'm standing here naked. That's what I feel like. I'm standing here naked because I don't have a glass of wine in my hand. But I just kept standing there. And another thing is, I would stand there, like, because I didn't have a glass in my hand, which in the beginning, I used to always have a glass in my hand of sparkling water to replace the wine. 
But I decided to start challenging myself to not have anything in my hand. So I would stand there and I felt like everybody was staring at me. I felt like everybody was thinking, why is she just standing there? Why is she not drinking anything? Like, what is she doing? She's a freak. Like, but the longer I stood there and was listening to myself talk, the more humorous it became. Um, And I found that I enjoy me much more sober. Um, Some of that like self-talk, like it becomes humorous. I, I, (laughs) I've told my kids this before and I've probably told my, uh, my staff and and my co-workers this before, like, it's so much fun being me. Like, I'm, I feel so lucky to be stuck inside this head with me because it's just funny. It's fun. (laughs) And, um, I know those of you who know me well, who are listening to this are probably laughing at me, but it's true. And so it must be, And I must be enjoyable to other people more sober than I was when I was drinking because I'm more enjoyable to me sober. You know, I'm, I'm, I've surprised even myself. Um, I remember standing there among all these people at a Christmas party. This, this was like, at my very last Christmas party with my company. And what I used to feel like when I went to my first Christmas party sober with the same company, um, I used to feel like I just want, I wanted to cry. That's what I used to feel like. The, I remember the first one I went to and my boyfriend didn't go with me. So it was just me, and I drove by myself, too. And I remember standing there and just, I guess, let's see. I had gotten sober in April, so the Christmas party was, like, December 5th, probably. So I'm not going to use my fingers again. No, I'm not going to use it. Eight months. Um, I didn't, uh, so I probably was, like, eight months sober. I just wanted to cry when I was standing there because I, I felt, um, I don't know. There were feelings of like humility and shame and I don't know why because I was just standing there and embarrassed like I would, I was out of place. Like I didn't have any friends, um, like poor me, my boyfriend's not with me. Everybody else has somebody to talk to. Like those were all of the emotions I was feeling while I was there. And I'm sharing all of this because if there's anybody else out there who is just getting sober or is dealing with these same, same kind of emotions when they go places sober, um, I simply don't want you to feel like you're unique. That these are feelings that I, that I absolutely faced as well. So, um, instead of feeling that way at this last Christmas party that I went to, I actually stood there 
there were like some bar height tables and um I was standing at one of them with one of my one of my staff members who actually just so happens to be one of my best friends also and we're standing there uh and her husband and I felt honored to stand there without clutching anything in my hand I felt honored to be dressed up and be a professional and to get to be standing there with my friend and all the other people that were approaching us and to be present. And while they were talking, they were talking about their families and and just you know, everyday life, and I was able to listen and surrender and be engaged and watch, you know, watch everybody interact instead of feeling like I was being watched. When I went to my first sober work party, I felt like I was being watched, which yeah, that's ego, right? That's that's a lot of ego for me to walk in and think anybody's paying attention to me. And at this last Christmas party I went to, sorry, holiday party that I went to, I didn't feel like I was being watched. I felt like I was a part of something bigger than myself, you know? that I was there to celebrate the mission that we were all a part of all year and the successes of the company. That's what those holiday parties are for. And I was able to feel that way. And I'm really grateful that my last, so that was my last holiday party with the company and as I was writing my script for this episode, um, I was really sad about that. I'm, I'm really, really sad about that. And I don't know what to do about that. That's something that I'm going to have to broach here as the holidays come up. But um, I'm really grateful that I was able to participate this last time as a sober um, woman, a sober professional woman, and experience that. I took a snapshot. You know, I talk a lot about snapshots. I took a snapshot in my head when I was at that Christmas, sorry, holiday party this past um, holiday season. And, and I'm just really grateful for that. So, Um, I also really enjoyed watching everybody else get tipsy this last time. I never liked that before, but each passing year, I find more and more enjoyment in different things when I'm doing these things. So, um, I don't, I no longer feel responsible for entertaining everybody else at a function. Um, When I'm sober, I understand that whatever function it is, 
isn't my function, <laughs> that everybody else is in control of their own fun. And I only control from my head and my heart to my fingertips. You know, it's not my party. Um, and I don't have to stay there until the bar closes. I don't have to stay at the holiday party and be the last one out dancing on the dance floor, which is what I probably would have been if I was drinking. Um, at, co <coughs> coincidentally, another best friend of mine, she always is the last one on the dance floor, but she wasn't drinking. You know, that's funny. That's a whole nother personality that um, that's just not not me, but maybe it will be one day. Who knows? But um, I just that picture of her dancing on the dance floor when I was walking out this past year just made me laugh. Um, so I get to leave when I'm done. You know, I get to leave when I'm done having fun. And I always prioritize or I have my priorities straight when I go to a function now. I always make sure that I have a way out also. I think that's really important for folks who are especially new in sobriety, but even with years under your belt, I think it's always important to have an easy way out, um, a comfortable, safe way out of the situation should you um, choose that you're uncomfortable. Um, that should be in any situation that, that we're in. Um, but for people who are sober, sometimes it can hit you, you know, right in the back of the head, um, like this feeling, I don't want to be here. You know, I'm not comfortable anymore. And so I always try to make sure that um, whoever, if I get a ride from somebody, that that person is, I talk to them before we go. What is your, what are your thoughts on when we're going to leave? You know, are you fine leaving whenever? Is there a certain time you want to leave? Just to make sure that um, I'm not getting myself into an uncomfortable uh, position where I can't escape. So, um yeah, I, I feel free. And that's, that's a first too. That's a sober first is I, I feel free to be free, to be physically free from craving and addiction, uh, dependence, to be emotionally free, um, to not have this underlying anxiety, uh, that I don't understand that, that I'm afraid of and to be, to be mentally free, to be able to, to be present, you know, to be present and free. So thanks for listening today and I'll talk to you tomorrow.